hope you had a good week. Hope that first date goes well. Man, I sure hope those dogs win. That did sting a little bit. What are you hoping for? Do you toss it up like that? How does the world define hope? And is our definition any different? I hope so. You know, if you look around, it's not too hard before you'll find that, okay, it it might get better, but uh, sometimes the hope that that everywhere around us presents is kind of like wishful thinking. You know, there's, if there's any basketball fans in here, LeBron James does this thing where at the beginning of the game, he throws some baby powder right there on the, where, the, where the refs are, and he tosses it up in the air, and he smacks it, right? And so and I, it, when, when I think about the hope that the world often talks about, I, I have that image, just sort of tossing it up. I hope it goes well. What does the Bible say about hope? It's not that good. Paul, uh, it's fitting, you know, it's, it's a little bit gray outside. When he talks about hope, he says this in Romans 8. He says that hope is enduring through suffering. He says that hope is found in the waiting and the longing. There's nothing wishful about it. And there's often nothing sentimental about it either. You know, this season marks for us a lot of different emotions. You know, there's, we put a lot of pressure on this time of year to, to bring us hope, whether that's to, to reconcile a family member, whatever it is. So how can we begin to move and see that it's a good thing from this flimsy version of hope to one in which is deeply rooted, one that the Bible presents? As Tim has alluded to, we're, we're entering Advent, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the virtues or the gifts of this season of hope, joy, love, and peace. And, we've, and the series is titled, Finding Christmas, Connecting the Gift with the Giver. And behind it is this idea, if you're like any of us, that the season is often missed, you know, like the, the, it sort of just flashes in a pan really quickly. And we see in Scripture a different story told. And this week we're going to look at hope. And what does it look like? How can we, we, as he put it, lean in to that this morning? So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. First chapter. It'll be up on the screen as well. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from John whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear 
witness about the light that all might believe through him. You see, he wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Heavenly Father, tenderize our hearts with your word of hope this morning. Amen. There's a commercial that was released earlier this year. Man, I'm really hoping I don't come across as a cynic this morning, because sometimes I look at things and I'm like, that's just dumb. But anyway, I'm still going to use the example. Uh, In February, uh, yeah, this year, Microsoft launched a commercial. Maybe you've seen it. And it's it's set on something like a Broadway stage, nice lights, you know, big, big heavy drapes. And out comes Common. He's the, uh, you know, he's an activist, actor, hip-hop artist, all these things kind of melded into one, motivational speaker. And he's talking about the potential that we've all received or attained through artificial intelligence, AI, right? Have you seen this? And he's like, what are you going to do with it? So the, the very last line is, look, look what we've done. Look at the technology we've developed. And he sort of ends with this very powerful, uh, motivating question, what are you going to do with it? And I kind of stick my tongue back out at him. But then you look at uh, some regional commercials. I was watching, I saw... Um, a Nissan and maybe Toyota did this as well. But they're, 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 they've got specials right now, not your normal Christmas specials. You know, you can buy a car for free for 15 years and pay for it or something like that. And the end of it, each of these that I've seen, it's, we will heal. God bless Florida and Georgia. What is the common thread in those two things? Us. We're the ones. The future with which we've always wanted is attainable by our efforts, hopes, and dreams. Picking ourselves up and going for it, right? Common says, <laughs> you know, what, what we've developed in technology is, is, is for us. We've, we've brought ourselves to this point. Nissan and Toyota are telling us that we are the hope for Florida and South Georgia. Are we? You see, the temptation, the condition of both John's readers and us this morning is we think we got a little bit of light in us. We think that we can actually do something pretty good. We can bring lasting change. We're going to nuance that a little bit more this morning, but, but let that sit for a second. Everywhere in culture, we are conditioned to think. You look inside, hope is found, love is found, joy is found, unity is found. Have you done that recently? Where did that leave you? It sounds really good. In fact, it echoes the very life of the Bible. But its source is errant. So how do we become hopeful people? If... If our tendency is to throw up like the Bron James 
baby powder with our hope-filled euphemisms to something that Paul would invite us into, which is, a, which is an endurance when things aren't well. How do we become hopeful people? Looking at what John said this morning. Real simple. There's two steps. Pretty basic. Right here in front of us. Step one. You got to see the darkness. You got to see the darkness inside and out. Did anyone hear another passage of Scripture as I was reading those first few verses? Genesis 1 and 2. John's not making anything up. He is, he is ringing the echo chamber of the very beginning of all of history. And do you remember that, you know, it says that it was dark, formless, and void, right? It was dark. And John is echoing that again. And this time he's, he's bringing into view a picture of Jesus no one had ever conjured in their mind. He is the one, co-creator. you got to see the darkness was there apart from light. It's very simple. In Genesis, it was creative light. It was quite literally physical light. It was just dark. There was nothing without God. After sin's curse, the darkness moves toward a more moral trajectory, a fallen condition, if you will. So where it's, it was but just simply literal, it's, it's now moved to the realm of our hearts. So the darkness not just represents a physical reality, but, but even an inward, right? You've got to see the darkness. There's, um, I'm sure you've all seen this movie, but uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I love, I love the, the uh, film adaptation of it. And, you know, when, when the siblings go through the wardrobe, what do they enter in Narnia? A physically dark world, right? It's snow on the ground. It's, it's gray. There's, there's nothing green sprigging from the ground. Birds and animals have, have really just hibernated, right? And then do you remember the, the fixture that sort of remains as their beacon of hope? The lamppost? It's sort of dim and, and really soft and sweet. You see, and C.S. Lewis is really good at capturing both a... a, a a real, like a literal true reality, and something even deeper. And that's present. That's pregnant within these pages. To become a hopeful people, you got to start with seeing the darkness around us. you got to start with seeing it around us. And then you got to see it within. Verses 10 and 11 say that, that he came to his own and they didn't even recognize him. And on top of that, they rejected him. What kind of fool does that? You and me. Our hearts do that. See, guys, there's a darkness outside and there's a darkness inside. And against what everyone else wants to tell you, our hope isn't in here. It's not even out here. It's somewhere else, and John wants us to see it. Another Christmas movie. I didn't know all my illustrations were going to be Christmas movies, but they are. Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. Do you remember when, the, when the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, or ghost of future, arrives, right? It's, it's sort of the end of his test. And he's, there's this sort of pivotal scene where he's brought Ebenezer Scrooge to his gravestone. And it's starting to reveal with great anticipation whether or not it's truly Scrooge's name written on it, right? 
right? And then sort of in this final sort of painful, dramatic act, he opens up the grave of Scrooge, and he plunges him into it. And there's just this, you know, never-ending fall into this pit, and then he wakes up, and redemption has arrived, right? Well, guys, let that be an object lesson, a, a, a visual aid, if you will, of, of our own search. To go in is just to, is to dive into a, a cavern of mess. Think about it. The more you sort of discover about, man, I didn't know I was like him. Oh, man, I didn't know I treated him or her that way. The, the more that we're exposed, if any of you have done any sort of uh, assessment in your life, which you have, no doubt, then you recognize that like Scrooge, to, go, to, to dive in is, is just a never-ending freefall. Where is hope? Well, it starts with seeing things as they are. Christmas invites us to take the sober goggles and put them on our eyes and see the world. We're the only people around that can do that. There's no other order of people, no other uh, religion in the world, no other way of life that tells you to see things as they are. But as counterintuitive as it is, the first step to finding hope for, our, for ourselves and our communities is to see it, to name it, not sugarcoat it. What, can, what, what are the two mistakes we make when we enter darkness? When we see things, and now I'm, I'm not talking about physical darkness, I'm talking about just evil and, and, and oppression and persecution, these, these big things, right? What are two things that we do? Well, we can accept the myth of progress. We can accept that it is up to us. And instead of looking anywhere else, we just look to ourselves and we, we go back to school. We keep going to school. We, we, you know, we, we do all the things. Or you just take a pessimistic, dystopian, I've got to run and hide. It's gone to hell in a handbasket. I've got to run, right? Those are the two options we often hit when we see darkness. But the way of Jesus, the way of life, of faith, is a different one. He calls it a narrow road. One author puts it this way. Christmas hope is distinctly different from cheeriness or a positive attitude. It locks its steely eyes on the devastation of the world and readily acknowledges that life may not be too sunny. It doesn't bury its head in yuletide cheer and artificial lights, but like the Advent wreath growing stronger and brighter, this hope gamely pushes its way into the brokenness of the world, clearing a path in the wilderness so the true light might come through. One of the gifts, don't, don't tell other believers this, but one of the gifts of being a Reformed Christian is that you believe there's value in everyone's work. We all bring glory to God. There is no such thing as this sacred, secular divide. I'm doing nothing more um, in the grand scheme of things than, than, than any of you are. And one of the ways that we can avoid the two pitfalls when we encounter darkness is to embrace our vocations and lean in. Where are things messed up? Where is the org chart broken? Where does 
just your presence bring, bring something to those around you. See, this is the gift of our work. We get to engage. We don't have to hide. And we don't have to accuse. Lean in. And to the problem of the, of the inward darkness... Where do you numb yourself? How do you numb yourself? One of my mentors would always tell me, Scott, you just got to stay engaged. When you endure your locking horns, you can't leave. When Eleanor is crying a fit and you just want to look at Instagram, you can't do it. This is where hope is found. When, when, when we stay engaged, we don't, we don't run when things get hard. And as we take the next step, we'll see why. Because this is what's so unique about us. Who does this? Who, when things get bad, don't run and hide? Don't, you know, put the tail between their legs and go the other way? We do. We do. Where is hope found? Step one, we have to see things as they are. We have to take a sober look at reality, both around us and within us. And then step two is, quite simply, receive the light. Receive it. Easy enough, right? Easy. See the world, receive the light. Boom! How do we do that? Well, as we've been talking about, you just, you have, we have to acknowledge, we have to confess that it doesn't come from, from us. Look, what, look how John puts it, verse 4, in him, that is Jesus, the word was light. Verse 8, John the Baptist says, I am not the guy. Verse 9, John, John says, light is coming. The only way to receive it is to, is to say, I'm not the one who has it, right? You can't, that's how you get a gift. Someone, someone offers it to you. You're not the one. And then verse 12, this painful scenario where it says that, that the world didn't know him. They didn't even see him. And on top of that, if they did, they rejected him. You have to believe. We have to, we have to trust. What am I trying to say? To receive the light is, is to humble yourself. It's to do what the, everyone else in the world is not wanting to do, which is to say, I, I, you know, I, I have a lot of good gifts. I can, I can do some really good things, but, uh, you know, I, I'm also, I also make mistakes, you know. I'm not, I'm not the hero. Christmas demands a humbly confession of I'm not it, and the true light is. And this isn't shaming, guys. This is liberating. This is where freedom is found. You don't, have to, you don't have to save yourself anymore. And I know none of us claim that we do, but think of all the functional ways that we do. Man, I don't feel good about myself when I'm not productive, when I haven't shaved the back of my neck, you know, when I've not worked out. Just petty little things, but I feel good about myself when I've checked those boxes. And I, and I got it, you know, and I'm not, hey, we're, we're called to be productive people, right? I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but, but where do we, I mean, where do we functionally, you know, find our worth? It's all around us. 
To receive the light is to swallow the pride pill. I was reading um, this one story about sort of doing this sort of thing, and I just laughed, and, and I'm going to probably chuckle as I share it with you. But imagine you're at like a dinner party, or maybe, maybe it's a white elephant gift exchange. It might suit the situation more. But one of your friends gives you a present, you open it up, and it's a, it's a diet guide. Not a cookbook, like a diet guide. Okay, thanks, you know. Then another friend gives you another book uh, by some famous guru that says, How Not to Be Selfish. What? Diet, not to be selfish? What are you saying about me? When God has given us himself, he's hitting us right in the face with what we want to accomplish ourselves. We want to find freedom. We want to save ourselves. And he says, you've got to swallow your pride. You've got to accept that I'm here as the true light. And what's so hard in the daily life, again, is this tension where we truly believe it, but it's not really worked out. It's not really worked out. I, um, I was uh, exercising or was going to be exercising uh, with a friend this Friday morning. And uh, I, I think you ever slept, okay? And I was, I was being ragged on at the gym. Oh, your buddy didn't show. Like, yeah, I got friends. Don't worry. And, uh, and I'm, like, I'm like pedaling, keep looking at the door. You know, 30 minutes gone, I'm gassed. I'm like, if he shows, I don't have anything left. And uh, I get back, and I don't have my phone with me. I get a text, and it says, sorry, man, overslept. And that hit me. There was no excuse. He wasn't trying to, oh, man, I, I didn't mean to do it. I was, you know, don't, don't hate me for it. The hope of the gospel was being free to disappoint people. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be in control. There's freedom in accepting the pride pill. Okay, I do. You know, I don't want a heart attack. Okay, I'll, I'll try. And there's grace in the failure. You know, we've, we've heard about Andrew Brunson, you know, the pastor that was in prison for two years, over two years in Turkey. And as stories came out, um, what we find is a man who was on the verge of despair his first year. And one year later, about maybe a little over a year, the same man pens a hymn titled Worthy of It All. Now you run the risk when you put a human being as a, an exemplar of behavior, so don't, don't, don't put too much weight here. But as you read reports about Andrew Brunson and his time in prison, it was only when he was stripped down when he was at the end, did hope begin to spring? And so, guys, I don't, you know, I don't know where, where in your life you're waiting. Don't scurry in the waiting. If you're waiting, that is, that is precisely where the gospel of hope is meeting you. 
That's it. That's where it is. Where is the gift of hope found? It's seeing things as they are. It's naming reality as you see it. Not in an optimistic form and not in a deadly pessimistic form. It's just true to form. This is the real deal. And then it's receiving the true hope. It's receiving him, accepting and believing. Did you know that uh, hope, and you will know this after I tell you, that uh, is the only one of these gifts, these virtues, that will not be in the new heavens and new earth? Peace will, will, will endure. Love will rage. Joy will crescendo. But we will have nothing left to hope for. And that's significant. So this season, the gift is is to be right here, right now. Not going that way, not going that way. And the people of God are marked by this. And this is what is so compelling to the world around us. This this might be what, uh, what was compelling to you when you came to faith. Is to see someone waiting to resist instant gratification. To see somehow comfort come in the midst of pain. John's not writing in a vacuum. He didn't get dropped out of heaven and just start writing about a man named Jesus that we get to cozy up to, right? Like he was doing with the Genesis story, he's also retelling another one. And we've heard this verse a few times, but it's Isaiah 9. So hear hear these few verses again this morning, and we'll end here. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into the thick of darkness. Get ready. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. You ready for the best part? That's not the best part. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Guys, it was 700 years before this came true. 700. We're just continuing a long line of hoping in something that has nothing to do with us. And this is where it's stabilized, right? There's nothing, you know, we're just kind of fickle and flimsy folk, you know? I'll get mad when I leave here and have to confess to somebody. They waited. And that's the invitation for us. 700 years. And the son has come. The child has been born. And the zeal of the Lord has caused this to be. As John re-puts that verse, I think, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. The, the wonderful grace and truth of this virtue we're trying to pursue called hope 
is that the zeal of the Lord will bring it to pass. Cling to him this season, today. Let us, let us be faithful at the waiting. Let us not run, but let us see that hope is found as we endure together. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that Advent isn't about getting our stuff together, but it's about waiting for the one who is getting things together will come. God, hope is, is murky, it's icky, it's, it's, it's not always tangible. And oftentimes it, it's, it's not that fun. Lord, help us to see, even as we wait now, I don't know where our hearts are longing. Maybe it's for a spouse or a partner. Maybe it's for a college entrance card. Maybe it's for a promotion. Lord, wherever the real longings are, would you meet us there? Would you remind us that your people of old and your invitation to us today is that you're worthy of our trust? The gift of hope is ours in your Son. We need your help. We can't muster the strength. We've already confessed that it's not ours to create. Would you do that? Give us hope even this morning as we look to your table to nourish our needy hearts and heads and hands. For his glory and our good, amen.